Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast. And yes, I am smiling ear to ear. If you guys could see this, yeah, we're on Zoom. <laughs> but I say this every time we have an Anything But Typical person that we're going to be interviewing, and you are in for a massive treat, and so am I, because this is one of a kind. We are having my son, <laughs> Zach Fry, on here. <laughs> And it's not because he's my son, it's because he's met and cleared the hurdle that everybody else has on this podcast, which is they've made it past an idea and they've actually got a viable business and they're, they've had enough battle wounds that they're willing to tell the behind the scenes stories and not just the Instagram showreels. So, Zach, we start out every one of these as a heartbeat question and you're a soulful guy, so here's the question. So you are um, jumping in and you're you're actually not jumping in yet, but you're driving into the parking lot of your favorite cold plunge place after you've just done a long <laughs> mountain run. And somebody sees you because they know, hey, that's Zach. He always comes here to do the cold plunge. They start talking about you and they say, hey, that's Zach Fry. But they don't realize that you can overhear and understand everything that they're saying about you. What would some you want somebody to say about you? Oof. Oh, that's good. Uh, we talked yesterday, and I didn't, I didn't have an answer at the time, and it just came to me. Um, and I don't think that I'm the greatest at this. But that's probably an aspirational why I would want them to say this. I would like them, I'd like to be known as somebody who listens well. Um, and I, I think for me, what that reason being is I, I want to always be learning and I, I want people to feel heard. Um, and uh, I want to pick up everything I can from the world around me. Um, so I think that, uh, at least on the surface, that might be a, a good answer, something I'd like to, to hear, yeah. You are a good listener, so you're kind of living <laughs> up to that one, Zach. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of inside baseball today, so, which is great. Yes, We're, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, your dad already sent me some questions of things of, that you did when you were a kid and things like that, so this is going to be great. But for the listeners that, <laughs> that don't know Zach, Zach is a co-founder of Flux Footwear. He was a designer at Wolf and Shepherd, including designing shoes for uh, NBA Hall of Famer Steve Nash and, and other projects as well. He's also worked for Reebok, Puma, and New Balance. So, so we're we're in for a really interesting conversation. But Zach, I want to go back to just the core of it all. Of what got you interested in in designing shoes in the first place? Uh, the moment for me was an edition of what was that? Soccer.com. Uh, their, their monthly magazine that they would send out. And I remember seeing the original Nike Mercurial Vapor soccer shoe. And everything about that shoe was perfect. It had this like revolutionary, uh, you know, like fiberglass plate underneath it. The upper was this iridescent brownish, goldish color. And it was, and they had these removable studs that didn't screw in. They clipped off. Um, and it was the lightest shoe, uh, lightest soccer shoe that had ever been made. And 
something just sparked for me. I was like, everything about this is cool. I want it. I want this thing. I want to feel it. I want to look at it. Um, and, uh, and I think that was the moment that I just started, you know, and I was always drawing thanks to my parents, um, for, uh, pushing me in this direction or, or, or encouraging me. I think they saw that it was something that I, I really love to do, but anytime I, I found a new interest, I would just draw that thing. So for a while it was cars and then I was drawing watches, you know, for a, a couple months and then, and then it was shoes and I kind of kept drawing shoes, um, and 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 then as I got more and more into it, uh, I really found you know I, the, the first day that I walked into my internship, actually into the interview for an internship at Puma, I felt like I was home. I I just I was surrounded by all of this creativity, all of these colors, all of these uh, materials and and combinations, and uh, it was just total. Uh, novelty overload completely mesmerizing um and so i think i've kind of been chasing that feeling ever since uh of just of just being overwhelmed by by uh creativity um and and visual uh beauty yeah yeah so you see these soccer shoes you get into drawing and drawing soccer shoes just doesn't go away right the watches stop but the the, the shoes are what sticks around but doing that and having an interest in that versus deciding to turn that into a career that you're going to pursue right those are two very different things talk to talk to us a little bit through the mental process of why turn this into a career? What were some of the hurdles of trying to break into to making this your thing? Sure, sure. Uh, again, I, I think it was like I saw a designer from Nike. They did a little video about this designer who's designing soccer shoes. And again, I was like playing soccer at the time. I wanted to be the best and, you know, had a goal of, you know, whatever, being on the national team or something because it just it was like, what's the highest thing you can shoot for? Um, and I remember seeing this video of this guy just talking about his design process and he was designing soccer shoes. And I thought, I'd rather be doing that. <laughs> that sounds like more fun to me. Um, so I, I think that's where it, it, it became, that was the first time I realized that that could be a career, you know? Um, and when you're young, everybody's asking you, what are you going to be when you grow up? So, um, naturally I think I, I, had an inclination towards that i took a sort of off the beaten path uh, to get here i didn't do the traditional um industrial design route i went to a small liberal arts college where i studied fine art and graphic design um, and and that gave me just enough tools combined with my interests to to get me into some internships like i said puma and then um, and then I pursued my senior project in, in really something very similar to what we're doing now with Flux, which was a, a minimalist lifestyle shoe because it didn't really exist at the time. Um, at that time, it was Nike Free and it was Vivo Barefoot. And both of those were a little bit more out there and they didn't have all the attributes that I wanted in a shoe. And so really funny that probably eight years, maybe 10 years after that senior project, this, this opportunity came up with Flux. 
um, to build this um, with with the two guys that I originally joined on with. Um, so I, I I don't know if that answers the question, but um, but yeah, it was certainly yeah. it, it was a surprise to me that that it became a career because I, I at one point when I went to college I thought. I know I'm not taking the traditional route into this and there's a good chance that I won't ever do this professionally. Um, so it was a, a, a fun surprise to, to find myself kind of continually circling this, this field. That's, that's a pretty common theme on this show of people not going the normal route. So you're, you fit right mm. in. <laughs> I, I went from coaching basketball to running a wealth management firm, which can't be. Further <laughs> apart, so. Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, but you, you had the privilege of being able to work for some really high level, sophisticated brands, right. With, with the uh, internship at, at Puma doing some stuff with new balance, working at Reebok. What were some of those things that you were able to learn working inside respected shoe companies like that? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, Puma was my, my foot in the door. Um, New Balance was actually more of apparel, uh, some apparel stuff that I did at the agency in college. But um, but Reebok was where I really cut my teeth. I learned so much because, so I, I joined as an apprentice and in their apprentice program at the time, I don't know if it's, if they're still running it this way, but there was a lot of opportunity. We were making shoes by hand. We were learning like the ins and outs and all of these kind of old timer, you know, uh, designers and developers who had been there for years were, were always down to chat and just like give you whatever knowledge they had about shoemaking, about what's possible. You'd come to them with ideas. So we had a, there was a pattern making room there. They, they had all the materials. You just grab stuff and put things together and ask it, can we put this together and can we do this? Um, and so I, I just, I learned a lot about the process. And then of course, doing factory visits, you, you see the process and just learn so much um, being hands-on with it. Um, and I, I, I actually, I spoke with a, a, a kid this morning who's, who's looking to get more into footwear design. And I, I was telling him the same thing. And, and really, if you can find people that are, are willing to mentor you. And when you're in your early twenties, it's like, everybody wants to, because they, they, they've been there too. Um, and I, I, I took advantage of that and, and, and I was just genuinely really, really fascinated by the process. Um, and I think that's the, that's the thing. I, I fell in love with the process there. Um, and, and that's kind of stuck with me. So I'm going to interject one thing. So this is insiders baseball for y'all. And I'm going to try to not be the dad in this, you know, but because I, I, it's a very interesting position to be in because I care and I love entrepreneurship and I love the entrepreneurs that are willing to risk it because it's such a lonely road and it's a very terrifying road at sometimes that people don't realize. And so that coupled with being this guy's dad and I have all that history, which is really, really fun. But when you were in high school, you went into like, you were still saying, man, you know, he was a very good goalie uh, as a keeper. He loved soccer. He, he outworked everybody else that I could see. Um, 
but he had an opportunity to do an internship with a, an industrial design group. Remember that? <laughs> Your senior oh, yeah, year. sure. Yep. And yep. <laughs> it seemed like that after that internship, you were like, ah, I don't know about it. Like, Cause industrial design was not flipping your lid at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. Correct. But you still but... had this talk about that kind of inner drive that didn't seem to go away because it seemed like, okay, well, forget that. Well, then I'll paint. And, and mm -hmm. I, I was like, well, you need to have some design skills too, because I was a designer and, you know, painting may or may not, make the cover the bills but graphic yeah. design and he has a very good eye naturally so i'm like all right so talk to us about going from that like oh okay seems like a dead end not not a, not an interest all right so i'll go down yeah. this other path and what were some of the things even at that school that you learned because that was a very unique it wasn't Savannah College of mm -hmm. Art and Design, which you had a good scholarship to go there, but you talk about where you went and what you learned in that studio and in that environment and how that still had some shoe things that kept coming back up in you. Yeah, that's good. Um, so the school I went to was called Gordon College. It's a small liberal arts school. And I went there sort of because I, I I visited and and to play soccer there and I I just like I loved the community aspect that I felt there and so you know I just kind of followed my heart on it and in in a lot of ways that that really paid out um, but the the I just remember this this point because like you said I you know it was it was either painting or graphic design at that point. That was what, sort of what was available to me at this little school. Um, and dad, you came uh, on that visit and, and met the design professor who, who was extremely good, Tim Ferguson Satter. That, he was an excellent teacher. He had a great background in working for agencies. Um, the agency that he'd worked for had actually done some work for Puma. Um, and so of course that kind of like piqued my interest. So oh, that's a cool brand. Um, and I, I really fell in love with design in his design courses. And there was a moment when I was taking one of his design courses and I was taking a, a painting class, like a, a, I think it was a life painting class. And I just was not enjoying painting, which was weird because I'd always loved painting and I, and I thought, well, if the if the choice is equal between doing these two things, or even if I enjoy doing design, I can at least get paid for that. And there's no guarantee about getting paid to paint. Uh, and so I I said, all right, I'll I'll, I'll dive into this um, head on. And actually, in a lot of ways, that experience, you know, I haven't just been a footwear designer. I, I've kind of probably spent about half of my career doing shoes and half of it doing graphic design or websites, um, packaging, all that. So it's actually really worked out well for starting a, a, a small business like this, um, you know, starting from scratch where, you know, for the first two years of the company's life, it was, it was equal parts graphic design and footwear design. So, um, 
you know, I, that all of that experience has, has panned out and, and played out in, in what I'm doing. So, um, and I, I, I don't know that, I don't know if, hmm, I don't know if I would be able to do what I'm doing right now if it hadn't been for that experience. So you just started going into a little bit of the the stuff you had to do at the beginning of Flux, right? With the, the graphic design and the design and things like that. But I want to go back before then, because you were talking earlier about working for these brands and you get to do all these different things and you're getting exposed to these people that are, are legends in the industry. Take us through the thought processes of, of choosing to end up leaving and go and and start your own thing, right? Because a lot of people could have stuck there and enjoyed working for these large brands and working with other people. And that just would have been the path in the career. So talk to us through that process. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting question. So it's been a bug in my, in my ear for, for, years I, I left Reebok after about three years working there to go I didn't really know what I was doing but I, I moved to France uh, I attempted being a missionary there for a year and a half and I started a coffee shop uh, again sort of like this entrepreneurial thing had to come out somewhere and uh, came back really confused from France and eventually found my way to 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 wolf and shepherd and was there for a year and a half i learned a lot um but that itch was still there to start something of my own um and so you know initially uh things with with flux it was it was just a freelance project that that came up and i just found that i really liked working with these guys and i knew for myself that if i was ever going to start something i would need somebody with with a different skill set than me um i think i had heard somewhere that like 80 percent of businesses that succeed startups that succeed have at least two founders and i just being self-aware enough to know like i don't love business i don't love accounting i don't love legal stuff i like operations uh like it's not my it's not my skill set. Making money is is not my skill set. I like making cool things that I want. <laughs> so I sounds I, like I, a, I, a true creative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And 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 so thankfully, um, you know, when this project came along and I had done multiple other projects as a freelancer for other um you know, other entrepreneurs who wanted to start something, right? They'd come, I got the shoe idea and so I designed and then it just never, either it never materialized or the relationship never panned out or whatever. And um, I think from the start, I just really liked working with these guys. And, you know, essentially they said, hey, we really like working with you too. Would you want to come on and do this together? Um, and, and that was sort of the moment for me that I realized this is perfect. This is perfect for me. I, 
I, I have value that I can add here. These are people who value what I bring to the table and are not looking to just strip it and take it. Um, they offered me an equal stake in the company. Like that was huge. That, that spoke volumes to me because it, it wasn't this like, we're the, we're the founders and we're doing our thing. They, they respected my creative ideas enough to say we, we value it to the point that we value it as much as what we're putting into the company right now. Um, and that was such a departure from everything I had else I had experienced in business up until that point. Um, and I, I think that that, that continues to be the, the, the case in, in what we're building with flux is that I, I, I really do. We're really striving to do things differently uh, as cliche and as trite as saying that could be. Um, I, I, the intention behind everything that we're doing is, is, is so it's, it is a departure from almost everything that I've experienced in business, uh, up until this point in my life. Um, so, but yeah, that was, that was the moment for me that I just knew like, okay, I can, I can roll with these guys. Um, so yeah, I want to throw a question your way because you've had multiple situations where partnerships left some scars. So <laughs> when when you guys are having mm-hmm. a conversation about what Zach may be doing, what's going through your mind of of making sure that from all the things you've learned in the past that going this direction, having partners, things like that was was a strong move and a good move. Oh man, that's an emotional question. Um but it, it, like as badly as I have been burned by partners and I've been burned severely, I still limp because of it. Um, I still believe what Zach latched onto early on, which is I believe that complementary skills with a similar heartbeat can do magic, like, like wonderful things. And I still believe in that. Now my wife is, far more skeptical because she has had to live the journey and the suffering. But I'm, I'm like Zach, you know, there are a lot of similarities that he and I have uh, together. So I actually tried to shut my mouth, which is really hard as much as possible because it's like his journey. It's not mine. I I've never wanted him to be in my shadow. He actually casts a much bigger shadow than I do. He's taller than I am, <laughs> but but he's more talented in so many ways. So I just tried to shut my mouth, but I wanted to be there for him if he needed somebody to reach out to, because mm-hmm. he knows. I mean, he 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 suffered too. We moved two different states because of that, <laughs> you know. Right. So uh, in different situations, but um, so yeah, that's that, that's kind of where I came from. Yeah. So Zach, I, I have a couple other questions about the partners and the dynamics, things like that. But before, can you just share with us how, how you guys even met, how this, uh, this project came up of the freelance and, and everything to that mm-hmm. end. And then I've got a couple follow-ups. Uh, yeah. It's kind of funny story. I, I 
like maybe two years earlier, I had been trying to get a job back at Reebok and my old boss was kind of like, Hey, your portfolio is a little dated, you know, you need some, some, some fresh work in there. And so I was like, okay. So I did some comp projects just to like have something posted on Instagram and it was just sitting there for a while. And then that's, that's how uh, Isaac found me as he was just like looking for shoe designer tags on Instagram found my stuff and was like, Hey, like the way that you think, uh, why don't we, why don't we talk? Um, so they had already, Ben and Isaac had already sort of built this business relationship. I think they had one or two other businesses under the name flux prior to this. Um, and sounds like I think COVID was sort of like the nail in the coffin on those. And, um, and, and so we, we kind of kept building, flux but um so yeah that's that's how they found me um sorry was there a second part to that question no i i mean i have more but no i just oh, great. I want to know the dynamic of, of how you guys even met but then also yeah. you still don't live in the same state and so i'm yeah. i'm really curious how you make that work uh, between not just the logistics but the communication and being on the same page you guys having different responsibilities. What does that look like inside your company? That's a great question. Um, we're still figuring it out. Uh, practically, you know, from the start, it's just been a lot of phone calls. Um, we've got it sort of figured out a little bit better now to where, you know, we've, we've got our sort of schedule of, of, our Monday morning meeting and then our Friday is more of a culture building um, for, for our full-time staff. Um, and we're, we're also figuring it out as it grows, right? Because before it was myself, Ben and Isaac, um, we, we bought Ben out back in uh, would have been like December, January. Um, he was ready to move on to some other things. And so, um, so then it was just really just me and Isaac and a couple contractors. Um, and just in the past few months, we've started growing our, our, you know, full-time team a bit more. Um, so it's, it is, it's a bit tricky, especially when it comes to physical products. There's a, there's gotta be a lot of trust on Isaac's end for me. Cause I, I'm not shipping product down to him every, every week or anything like that. Um, we have a developer now here uh, in Colorado who's here once or twice a week. We meet, we talk about product, we, you know, get things organized on that end. Um, but it's it's pretty incredible what can be done remotely. I just I, I think that the we're 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 sort of testing out how far we can go that way, and and I look at other brands in our space that are essentially fully remote. Uh, Cotopaxi is one that that comes to mind where I know that they're almost entirely remote. I think they do have an office, but it sounds like they only get together maybe once a quarter. Um, and and that is something that we we also are, are looking to, to ramp up a little bit more. There've been just some life things that have kept us from getting together in person more often than we have, but um, we've still done a good job of um, at least Isaac and I getting in person on a 
probably twice a year basis. Um, so it, it, it works, but it does require a lot of trust and it requires people on the team who are fully bought in and are pushing the needle. So I'm going to ask you, um, Zach, first of all, I want to make sure that the listeners know that these guys have defied many of the odds where, you know, in the tech space in particular, you have people like, oh, yeah, we're going to do series or, you know, doing initial rounds, series A, series B, raising money, raising money, using other people's money. Well, these guys didn't do that. And and I think there's a, a lot that you guys have learned by doing that and a lot that you've gained because you took that path. And so but it also has forced you to do stuff and sacrifice <laughs> along the way and do stuff that you didn't want to do. You talked about operations not being necessarily in your wheelhouse, but you were doing operations, you know, and and so. You also launched this thing during the pandemic, which is really interesting to me. So talk to us a little bit about what that was like in the early years, because, um, you know, you didn't have a, a ton. You had a dream. You had a thought. And as if anybody's listened to or read Shoemaker by Joe Foster, the founder of Reebok, or Phil Knight's book, uh, you know, Shoe Dog, you understand that fast growing shoe companies require a lot of cash and it didn't matter how many they sold, they're still sucking cash because they got to go buy another round of inventory. And you've lived some of that, that life. So talk, take us back into some of the early days, what you were doing, what that was like, how you were funding, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so Initially, let me see if I can remember all of this correctly. We, we, so first of all, Isaac had a previous business that was successful. Um, not, I don't think it, it, it ever reached to where Flux is today, but he, he had done well for himself and had enough um, in assets to, to have a really good, A, relationship with the bank and B, um, the ability to to get a, a very good interest rate on a loan. Um, so that was that's the first thing, and I, I think it would be really silly to act as if that wasn't a major contributing factor in allowing us to to do this. He also has a background in finance and accounting, so that again, complementary skill sets, absolutely massive. Beyond that. Um, we were able to get, I can't remember in what order, but we, we, we got an innovation grant from the state of Nebraska, which is where we're headquartered. Um, we got an innovation grant that essentially paid for, I think it was three quarters of my salary for the first year that I was on full time. And that, you know, it allowed me to design the shoe uh, the, the the running shoe and, and so we were able to expand there it also allowed me to just spend more time on the business and run customer service for that year um, so we were able to keep our expenses low 
uh, around then as well, we got uh, a loan, an SBA loan uh, that was that was also a big deal for us. Um, and I'm 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 probably missing one or two other pieces here. Um, I think there was there was some inventory financing from I think it was a company called maybe Eight Fig or something like that. Um, there's a couple of these of these sort of startups that were doing loans for direct to consumer brands, um, and so yeah, that that was that was the biggest thing, and and just having the trust of the banks. But we had to start off really small. We initially launched on Indiegogo, uh, which so this is before all of before all of those things. Uh, I believe we were using, we were still using that original business loan that was backed by Isaac. Uh, essentially, I mean, we were all on it, but, but he was, he was the, the I think he was the guarantor at, at the time. Um, that, that allowed us to spend a little bit of cash to pay an agency to help us run an Indiegogo campaign, which in hindsight, we all agree would have been just better to put towards our initial uh, um, order of shoes, but we just didn't know. Um, you know, I think if anybody's listening in and thinking about doing Indiegogo, it's probably pretty good if you have a one or two or three SKU product, but when you're dealing with 30 SKUs, it's three colors and 10 sizes. It, it just became an absolute disaster because none of the systems transferred over to once we were actually running our own web store. Um, but it was, it was what we were prepared to sort of risk at the time, which was like, let's dip our toe in and see. Um, but the reality is the, what we're able to do as a company and as a brand is, is just so much bigger and different than what we were able to do um, on Indiegogo. Our entire, uh, who we reach is different uh, um, and and just scale how we can scale our ads, all of that. So, um, but I, I suppose we did learn a lot in that process it, and it helped us to ease into, um, into everything. So, um, again, I don't know if that fully answers the question, but hopefully there's something worthwhile in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's helpful. And also go back, you know, the fact that you had to take, you didn't have anybody to delegate stuff to. So you were dealing with logistics <laughs> and talk about, you know, the, the, those first series of orders when, you know, like, Hey, are we going to be able to sell any of this stuff? And then all of a sudden what that's like, because you're dealing with customer service. You're not just in some la-la land designing. <laughs> you know, you're, right. you're the guy answering, hey, where are my shoes or whatever? Talk a little bit yeah. about some of the fun <laughs> and, 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 and funny experiences and some of the even trauma. Yeah, I think trauma is more the, more the correct term there. Uh, we... We were consistently late on every our first three orders, um, to the point that we were considering shutting the company down. We had a conversation, at least. I, 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 I know for myself, I was never on board with this idea, but it was tossed around that maybe we should just, you know, I think we were 
three months late on delivering product because of supply chains and everything. This was maybe our second or third order. And it was like, oh, like we're just, our company is, you know, such, we have such a bad image in the public eye. Everybody's mad about their shoes. And I'm like, look, I know because I'm the one answering all those emails. I'm the one going through and saying, I'm sorry about your shoes. Here's the link to, you know, exchange or whatever. And like just troubleshooting everything. It was, I think I would, I would sit on, it was like Tuesdays and Thursday nights were like my nights to just crank out on, on uh, customer service. And it was, I think I had to put on like Ted Lasso or something in the background just to like calm myself a little bit. Cause it was just such a, but I learned so much from it because I, I, one, I learned how to like, not take these things personally. I, began to realize also I've got a lot more compassion for our customer support team now. <laughs> I'm always like, guys, you guys are great. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Cause I know that this isn't a fun job. Um, hopefully it's a little bit, they're a little bit more removed from it. Cause it's not like this is their baby that right. So, um, but I also know that it is still uh, not an easy job. It's a stressful thing to be dealing with customers who are mad. Um, so it was it was a, a lot of stress in those early earlier days and but the the really cool thing is every time that we got product in we sold out faster than we could replenish so it was it was it was depressing in some ways cuz it was like well we just don't even know how far we can go and because we were growing slowly because we were growing responsibly and not just like taking big gambles because we couldn't like this is our money we can't gamble away our own livelihood um and so we've we've grown really responsibly and still are probably not purchasing enough product um we're we're consistently running out before we get new new product in um but it is probably the best problem to have in a business um just means that demand is high and um supply is not as high so it's not a bad place to be so you've hit on a few different struggles lessons from early on i want to look at the other side of this what what are some of the most fulfilling aspects of of flux mm -hmm. and, and what you've experienced I, I think that probably there's a couple things one that comes to mind immediately is seeing reviews we, we eventually turned them off because we were just it was it was a, a lot to keep up with everything so our, our but but we were seeing every review um and seeing people who are coming through saying this fixed my back pain i don't have plantar fasciitis anymore i was able to walk around disney world with my kids for the entire day and I'm not in pain. Like that is just so fulfilling because we had a hunch that this would work and to see it playing out in real life and solving people's actual problems is massively fulfilling. It's more, that is more fulfilling to me than hitting record sales days. Like, so that's one. Another one is, is I realized 
this was probably after the launch of our, our second or third product was the, the reward for doing something well is that you get to do more of it. And the fact that I get to design more, like that's what I love to do. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting to do that more and more every day, every week. And, uh, and, you know, there's other parts of the business as well that are fun and, and, you know, hopefully at one point it, it's not just me designing. Right. Um, but it's been, that's been really, really fun. Cause that's been a desire in my heart for so long is to be able to like put my vision out into the world. And so just being able to do that and see that like, I'm not crazy, uh, is kind of nice. Um, and then I think the, the third and probably, I think this is the biggest piece is the the relationships that we're building and, you know, probably primarily with my business partner, Isaac, that relationship and the growth that we've both experienced is... I think that's why we're both doing this. I mean, obviously we want to build a company and we want to do good things. And this kind of goes back to that conversation about partners. Life is relationships. I think that's what we're here to learn how to do is to learn how to do intimate relationships well. And it hasn't always been easy, but the reward of, seeing how far we've come and seeing those relationships blossom and grow and to see ourselves maturing as people is, is highly rewarding um, for me. Proud, proud dad moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, so go for it. Sorry. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's you're hitting on the heartbeat of why you're running businesses, right? And and why mm-hmm. you can reach more people. And and Gary uses the phrase all the time of a ripple maker, right? And it's like your one effort just ripples out and positively impacts all of these people, the people working for you, the contractors, your partner, but then also all the people that that are able to put the shoes on and walk around Disney without pain for the first time in their lives, things like that. So it's, I think that's unbelievable to get to that core. Um, one thing that I'm really curious about is, I mean, footwear is a crowded marketplace with some pretty strong brands. So what were some of the missing elements that, th- that weren't in the other brands that you wanted to address with Flux? Yeah. That's a great question. Everybody said, don't do footwear. It's crowded. It's a whatever, you know, red ocean or something like that. Uh, it, yeah. Um, the difference that I see and that I hear is, well, let me go back. I'll, I'll start with what, what we thought it was. And I, I think we were right, which is there's a lot of brands doing this barefoot thing. Um wide toe box, zero drop, more flexible. 
Um, there's a great book called Born to Run that goes, you have a, one chapter in particular where he goes really in depth into how our feet are supposed to move and the evolution of our bodies and why being barefoot is, is the ideal in a lot of ways and in a lot of circumstances. And, and even some evidence behind how our modern shoes are causing health problems. So there's already this subset of brands that have started doing that. Unfortunately, a lot of those shoes are not, they don't meet the standards of Nike or Adidas or they're not designed to that specificity or to that market. Um, they're much more on the like, a bit more granola, a bit more out there, people who kind of want people to know that they're wearing quote unquote barefoot shoes. And the opportunity that we saw, and I think the moment in, uh, you know, footwear history that we're a part of is the mass market is ready for those features because they're seeing, because it, it works, right? This, these are problems with our feet that are not being addressed by the bigger brands. But the smaller brands are having a tough time matching the, the design aesthetic that the masses are asking for. Um, and so that's been sort of the goal. And it, it sounds a little bit, I, I, I don't know, I, I hesitate to say the word masses um, because it, it is a bit difficult, but I, I at least know for my demographic, um, you know, millennials who work out pretty regularly and, you know, might work out of co-working spaces and in tech and whatever, right? Like there's a certain, there's, and this is another one of those things that sort of feel like, I feel like this is a really good shoe. I feel like this shoe looks really good with all of these outfits and can function across the board. Um, so that's been, I think that's the, the, the thing that we fit is, is elevating the design of barefoot shoes into, a a, a market that hasn't really been spoken to before and hasn't been addressed. Um, yeah, that's, that's so. one of the unique things about your approach to this, right? Like you're solving this problem but you're doing it with the experience and from the perspective of working for these brands like Reebok and, and designing something for Steve Nash and things like that. It's you have those standards and you're applying it to this part of the market that, that needed yeah. a perspective like yours. Totally. Totally. And that's not something I would have known when I was, when I, when I had an idea of the shoe in college and I was doing this as my senior project with my roommate at the time, I didn't know those things. I didn't, I had a hunch at the time, the shoe looks very different today than it did then. Cause I learned a lot along the way. Um, so I think that's part of it. Yeah. So uh, a couple things that I think are interesting. One, I remember him talking about, you know, you, Zach, talking about, man, wouldn't it be cool if we had grounded shoes? Like, so to my surprise, the shoes that I'm wearing right now, this collab with the 
movement is medicine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I bought these shoes because they were limited edition, 500, you know, shoe run. And I'm like, th those are cool looking. Well, I get this card in there that says grounded. And it's talking about that these shoes are grounded. And I'm like, what, 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 what? And, you know, you, you hadn't talked about it. I, I call my son and I, I go, Zach, tell me about this grounded thing. So mm -hmm. walk us through that. And the fact that you didn't even push it, I think that's a big, I think it's a big thing. But talk mm -hmm. to us about how you went, started down that journey. What does, what does that look like? What, yeah. what does it do, et cetera? Uh, yeah. So for anyone listening who's not familiar with the term grounded or earthing, it is, uh, so when you're barefoot, your body is passing like, like electrons from your body. I think they're, I can't remember exactly the, the wording here, but there's, there's a, a passage of energy from your body to the ground uh, and back up. And essentially like our bodies are electrical vehicles. They, they carry an electrical charge. And so, especially if you're around power lines, that sort of thing, it'll build up in your body if it doesn't have somewhere to go. And with our, like in our current world, you, there's no way that you don't have an electrical charge, excess uh, voltage built up in your body. And so uh, maybe I'm not saying that right. If there's an electrician or something on here uh, to say voltage built up in your body. But um, and so but when you step on the ground within your bare feet on grass or concrete or stone, your body is allowed is able to to release that and sort of stabilize and if you think about it that's how our bodies have been for all of human history even when we were wearing sandals we were wearing leather soled sandals which allow this passage of of electrons and and so since the advent of rubber soled shoes and you know 1950s or so uh maybe a bit before then those synthetic materials do not allow that passage and so we're not the first ones to do this this has been going on in safety footwear for quite a while like they have to you know for certain especially if you're working with electricity you 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 don't want to to be a closed circuit so you need your shoes to allow allow that uh that flow of energy and so it's something that the the Factories already know how to do. And we just said, hey, can we do this in our shoes? And they kind of like cocked their heads and said, yeah, we can do that. Um, so it's it's not something that we're, that we're pushing hard. As you can see, this was sort of a soft launch. We wanted to just, one, we wanted to see if we can do it. <laughs> can we make it in production? Will it work? Um, turns out it does. So um, we're, we're sort of gearing up for a, a more serious conversation around it um you know probably in the next six to eight months but this was a this was a really good and successful test at, at doing that and just something that we feel is if we can do it it's an important thing to have um you know our our tagline is is you know shoes that help you become one percent better every day and this is a 1% change that is an easy, easy, easy thing to do. Um, just, 
wear a different pair of shoes. Wear our shoes. <laughs> They're better for you. Um, so, uh, you know, and there, there've been a lot of studies around grounding and in, in, in what it does, you know, physiologically for you, increased blood flow, decreased cortisol, um, increased recovery times. Um, I think that there's also something about, is it maybe VO2? I think so. Um, maybe don't quote me on any of it, but go do your own research. Um, but, but there's, there's, there's compelling and increasing evidence that this is an important thing. And I think just if you can use your mind and, and apply the principles of typically natural is better. Um, what were humans doing for the last, who knows how many years? they were grounded. Um, so I, I feel that it's an important thing um, for us. It's, it's something that we can do as a startup that probably none of the big players are going to do anytime soon. If they do, I'd be really happy about that because I think that I, I'm all for anything we can do to, to help people with their health. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing our best to, to bring that to the market in, uh, as quickly and as reliably as possible. Yeah, I love the the growth, the innovation, the always questioning, trying to figure out getting how do you provide to your customers a chance to be 1% better every day. It's phenomenal. So I, I want to end on this note, Zach, at least from my end, Gary, you may have something as, as an end note also, but talk to us a little bit about what's your, your end goal for Flux and for yourself. And the answer very well could just be, I don't know, right? Like that's all right yeah. also, but, but I'm curious. If, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I know that I'm having fun with it. And I, if there's something that I have learned, it's that I, I do things best when I'm enjoying the process. And so right now I am just leaning into that part of it. And learning everything that I can. Maybe there's some day that I hit a wall and I'm not learning and growing like I want to anymore. Um, but Flux is at every stage so far, it's continued to be uh, an agent of growth um, for me in my life. And I, you know, selfishly, I guess, am, 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 am using it for that. Um, you know, we, we've, yeah, again, at every step, you know, now we're we're in the phase of like hiring and managing people and, and like that's a whole new set of fun challenges. And and I assume it will be for, for quite a while to come. Um and so it, it I think that's it. I, I I progress, growth, like those are the things that seem to be central to human flourishing and I, I want to keep doing that for myself and also for everyone who comes on board. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's what success in this looks like for me. Such a great answer. Gary, any, any final thoughts, any final questions? Well, I'll tell you, I, I love this kid, not a kid anymore. It's really cool to see a guy that was drawing shoes as an eight, 10 year old kid, sketchbooks and, and to where he's still doing it in his thirties. Like it's really fun uh, to see. And 
I think that the biggest thing, one of the big reasons I'm really glad that you're on this podcast, Zach, is you have that same heartbeat of learning, of teachability, of greater purpose than just, hey, let's go for the brass ring and make as much money as we can. That's never been your heartbeat. It still isn't. It, it's very apparent in this interview. And I love it. And you and you guys are, you know, doing doing great. I'm, you know, I'm I'm really proud of you. You are very understated. You don't blow your own horn about a lot of stuff. And yet, you know, you've been named by men's health, best trainer and all kinds of stuff with that running shoe, which is cool. But I had suffered under with plantar fasciitis for a long time where it was hobbling me. And I, I got it resolved after finding some $20 inserts called WalkFit, which really did help a lot. But I was, I was fearful to go into uh, a, a non-supported shoe and the trainers that he has, which kind of look like Converse All-Stars, only you can twist them in like, you know, they're very flexible, but they have this massaging insole that is unbelievable. I have never had uh, plantar fasciitis and I've had these shoes for what now about three years, close to three years now. And and I, I, personally, I like them and I have a wide foot i'm flat-footed so i like a wide toe box and like i've got other shoes of zach's that he's designed at reebok and and wolf and shepherd and they're they're cool but my daily wears are these because they're more they're the most comfortable ones so you know good job zach i'm really proud of you and isaac and ben for launching that thing and for you sharing and vulnerable being vulnerable with us, because I think this is going to inspire a lot of people, you know, people see shoes and they're like, oh, that's cool. But it's not just drawing stuff like, you know, you had to go a long way from when you were a kid drawing shoes and sketchbooks to <laughs> figuring out what materials are actually going to work and how you can actually mm -hmm. get grounding to work in a shoe. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really cool. So thank you for taking time to be with us, Zach. It's been great mm -hmm. and you deserve it. Not because you're my son, but because you cleared the hurdles that everybody else that's been on this podcast has has cleared. So, congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope that it, it was worth something to somebody. Um, yeah. So thanks for having me on, Zach. Where can people go uh, to get the shoes, and also where can people go to follow you? Great. Uh, shoes fluxfootwear.com, F-L-U-X footwear. Um, me. Uh, Oof, boy, I'd say Instagram, but I don't think I've posted in a couple months. All right, well, longer. we'll just send everybody to watch <laughs> <laughs> You can find me on LinkedIn, I guess. Uh, just my name, Zach Fry, should find it. So, yep, yeah, that's great. Thank you, guys.